Eso es. Hey guys, I messaged him and um, I'll let you know what he says and shall. Welcome here. I'm gonna step away for five minutes then. Wait, what'd you say? Well, I'm stepping away for five minutes. Okay, so. cool. Thanks. Simon, can you all hear me? Thanks, Sam. Yes, hear me. Yeah, we can hear you. Yeah. Testing one, two, three, testing one, two, three. Yep, we can hear you. Okay, good, good. Yeah, I couldn't hear you. That was okay. Cool. All right, how are y'all doing? Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. Give me just a second here. I just got out of another class. And let me get set up. While we're setting up, anybody have any questions about anything? So I'm, I'm thinking back to last week's class and kind of how he was talking about his... Um, the, how he's accusing his father uh, of murder. And um, I guess one of the takeaways I had that, I don't know if it's part of the takeaways, like, you know, I don't know if it's, it's that's like one of the lessons here was just like hearing both sides of the story or, you know, not judging just based on like the first, because, you know, when he explained, Socrates would explain what happened. It sounded like a clear case of murder, but then when we started probing it a little bit, you know, it seemed like there's some, some doubts there. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, just wanted to mention that. 
Yeah, no, I would uh, I would totally agree with that. That um, um, when we got more of the story, it changed the story a bit, right? And I think that's absolutely part of the uh, part of the point being made, you know. Uh, and I mean the ex the experience with an accusation or a crime, especially, but much of life is a matter of trust. Whom do you trust, and why? And so, for example, like in my office, and sorry, I'm still pulling these things up. Uh, in my office, when students are coming in, the assumption is that they're not giving me the full story. Not necessarily because they're lying, because they're giving me whatever is relevant on their minds to the story. And and then my challenge is to figure out, all right, you know, how much of the story am I getting? What am I missing? Uh, without me even necessarily assuming that there's any deceit or anything. Some students are deceitful and not intentionally deceitful. They're just afraid they're going to get in trouble, right? And so then it's a matter of of me getting their, me earning their trust so they can share whatever it is that's led them into the office, you know? So yeah, there is the, the fundamental question of getting um, the, the full picture. Okay. And whoever has screen sharing capabilities, can you give me access so that I can share? Good question. Who 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 has that? I mean, I don't have it. Nobody's the host. Oh, then maybe I need to log in. Um, Does anybody know who initiated the recording? Claim host. I think it automatically records too, because I don't think any of us initiated it. Interesting. That's spooky. I mean, I teach Islamic studies, so I just assume some agency is recording things. Yeah, I think we all know who's recording. I see the claim host thing. I don't know if that worked for you. So I'm trying to claim it right now. Let's see if it works. Oh, yeah, it worked. Okay, Michelle. Okay. So share screen. All right, y'all can see my screen. And then uh, Fazan, may I ask you to resend us the link? Yes. Make sure I'm using the same version. I do have one question, actually. Yeah, go for um, it. We talked about tribalism versus justice. Yes. Um, would you put nationalism under tribalism? And how do we kind of rectify that with, you know, nationalism? Obviously, you have like, Arab nationalism, African nationalism, you know, so yeah. on and so forth. So how would you rectify those things with justice? So basically it comes down to which one is superior or which one's being compromised. So if you are siding with your team against justice, then that's tribalism. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's basically it. If you are okay. going against your team because of justice, then that's justice. That's Got it. Okay. Literally, what it all comes down to. So. Cool. Uh, all right. If we can't find the link, let me pull up Euthyphro. Okay. Yeah, I have the MIT link. Sorry, I'm pretty sure. You found it? Okay. Perfect. Let's pull this up. All right, y'all can see it on your own on your own computers. Okay. Yeah. So scrolling down. 
Okay. And so, what one do I have open? That's kind of weird. Okay. So, uh, I think the last part we had was um, uh, Good Heavens, Euthyphro. Does that sound like a, a, a place we stopped? Okay. So, what's the date today? October 17th. Okay, so all right, let's see. Uh, who wants to be Socrates today? Who wants to be Euthyphro? Uh, how about some of you new guys that I don't know as well? Uh, uh, Raheem, you want to be Socrates? Sure. And then is it Isa? Isa, you want to be Euthyphro? Sure, no problem. All right. So let's start with good heavens, Euthyphro. Good heavens, Euthyphro. And is your knowledge of religion and of things pious and impious so very exact that supposing the circumstances to be as you state them, you are not afraid lest you too may be doing an impious thing and bringing an action against your father? Okay, so, so yeah, once again, one of the questions throughout all of Socrates' comments is that, is he trolling him? Is he nurturing him? What is he doing? What's in his tone? And there's probably some of all of it. That fundamentally, even if it's a trolling nature or sounding sarcastic, assume he's still being the teacher. Okay. And so your knowledge of religion and things pious is very exact. Okay. This is the exact type of assessment you will often see of literalists. So this is the type of assessment you will see of, you know, from non-Salafis to Salafis. They get super, super precise and literalist. In a previous generation, 800 years ago, 1200 years ago, it would have been the critique of the Mu'tazila, who were super, super precise in their language and assessment of things. And the point being that when you're interpreting the text, Quran, Sunnah, the Quran, the Hadith, uh, you will be alternating between precise reading and, and less precise to metaphorical. Okay. So in the context of the Quran, how do you determine if something is metaphor versus something being literal? What do you think? Could you, could you repeat that? You said how you tell the difference in the Quran. Yeah, so like you have a passage in the Quran. How do you determine if it is metaphor or literal? Uh, Would you start with... Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead, Omar. Who's speaking? You this first, was, you first, Shazan. Oh, Shazan speaking. Go ahead. Uh, no, I was going to say, I mean, for me personally, first, we probably would go to like, if you're asking like kind of like the stages you would take would be probably going and finding like a scholar or someone who can tell you what it was interpreted back then, right? Like how did mm -hmm. the Sahabas take that ruling? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Omar, what were you saying? Uh, I, I would also say um, maybe even like uh, even more fundamentally just having a knowledge of the Arabic language, a really thorough knowledge where you're able to pick up from that, um, you know, what type of context it is. Mm -hmm. So, 
in terms of like the the forms of tafsir what's the primary source of tafsir of quran anybody is it the quran itself yes so in terms of tafsir first source is quran then what else we got not necessarily in in the in the following order what else the narrations of the prophet so naturally we go to the prophet peace be upon him quick point and some of these points you know might be peripheral but i'm just making sure on the same page what's the difference between hadith and sunnah Is Sunnah more encompassing? So sometimes one of the first issues with the word Sunnah, and you're going to hear me say this over and over again about terminology, is anytime anybody uses terminology, I'll ask them, okay, drop the terminology. What are you trying to really say? And the way Iman in the Quran is a condition of the heart. Iman in law is what? It's your identity as a Muslim or not. Okay. Iman in theology is what? It's verbal attestation, something that you take as true, a list of creedal elements. Okay. So in the context of sunnah, what are all the different ways we use sunnah? What's one way? Just the word itself. Uh, the example of the prophet, just like broadly. So anything that the prophet did in one level is sunnah, which means far the prayers are sunnah, right? Anything that the prophet did. What else is another way we use sunnah? The, like the fiqh, like it's it's supererogatory. Yeah. So you'll have fard, wajib, sunnah. When you have levels of obligation, what's the difference between fard and wajib? Isn't it the, it's a small difference, right? Isn't just like. What's the difference? Like the a amount wajib. of. Is it? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, go I don't ahead. Know exactly. The ability to uh, excommunicate someone based on not doing it which one is that and wajib like you can leave the fold of this like if you say something's not fired that can that has like a legal implication mm -hmm. but if you say it's not wajib then it's like a different it's not as the implication isn't as harsh but the obligation of both are the same mm -hmm. so in the hanafi school this is a difference between fard and wajib and the other schools are the same fard is obligation wajib is obligation in the Hanafi school, I have to regard something as fard, and I have to do it. So if I regard Isha prayer as fard, and I do it, perfect. If I regard Isha as fard, but I don't do it, sinful. If I don't regard uh, Isha as fard, it doesn't matter if I do it or not. It's gufr. See what we're saying? That that which is categorized as fard in the Hanafi school, it means that the proofs of its obligation are so strong that I have to regard it as fard. Otherwise, it's the equivalent of saying that the Prophet, peace be upon him, didn't tell the truth. Because the Prophet is saying clearly that I have to do it. If the Hanafi school says it's wajib, they're saying as far as we're concerned, it is just as much of an obligation as fard is but because the proofs are not as strong, other schools effectively say it's sunnah. So with their prayer, Hanafi school, wajib. Meaning Hanafis are saying you have to do it just as much as you have to do fard. But other schools, it's sunnah. 
aid prayers. Wajib in the Hanafi school, meaning you have to do it just as much as you have to pray Isha. But in the other schools, it's a sunnah. Right? So that's farther than wajib. So you were saying, Ustad Muzaffar, that primarily the, the difference that the Hanafis make the extension is based off of what they, I guess, from the narrations, like what they consider far, like clear cut versus what's like really strong and but not to that level. I mean, that's the essential difference. The Hanafis are mixing law with theology. Okay, they're adding theology as a dimension connected to the law. And by theology, I mean creed or what you claim is mandatory or not. Okay. Is is this, um quick question on this as well, is this related to the whole, uh, with regards to these things, like the how they separate Wajun for, is that re related to like the whole... Uh, Mutawatir and Ahad Hadith thing? Um, it's included in the conversation. Um, but, I mean, it's like overlapping Boolean circles type thing. Oh, okay. But not necessarily the same thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so then that brings us to Sunnah. Okay. Fard, if I do it, I get rewarded. If I don't do it, it's a sin. Haram, other end. If I avoid it, it's rewarded. If I indulge, it's a sin. Okay. Sunnah, if I do it, I get rewarded. If I don't do it, probably not a sin unless I repeatedly don't do it. Okay. And then makru is the is the uh is the inverse. Makru, if I don't indulge, it's rewarded. If I do indulge, may not be a sin unless I repeatedly do it. Okay. That's thick level sunnah also sunnah in relationship with far the sunnah is sort of like a shield protecting the far nafal if i reward it it's uh if i do it i'm rewarded if i don't do it not a sin at all but it's a shield protecting the sunnah so think of shaitan has a little tiny pick that he's trying to knock you down with little pieces at a time if you're consistent on far he's going to try and knock down your far if you're consistent on sunnah, your farth is protected, he's going to try to knock down your sunnah. If you're consistent on nafal, he's going to try to knock down your nafal, your sunnah, and your farth is going to be solid, inshallah. Okay. So how do we figure out what meaning of sunnah we're using? You're looking at any, with any Arabic terminology, you're, using, you're looking at what other terms are being used along with it. Okay. So iman on its own has a linguistic definition, but if I'm using it in law, it's one thing. If I'm using it in the Quran, it's a different thing. You know, and so likewise, sunnah, when it's contrasted with hadith, sunnah is the living practice that is handed down by living practice, like the prayers, like what you do for Eid, right? That's sunnah. Hadith are the recordings of anything and everything about the Prophet, peace be upon him. So in the general usage of sunnah, Anything that the Prophet does is Sunnah. That means Sunnah is Hadith and, 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 and the living practice, right? But for example, you know, you, some of you have done the prayer exercise with me. I don't know if we have we done it in this class. Where'd you learn how to pray? Okay. Shazan, how'd you learn how to pray? Sorry, I was on mute. Uh, just like from my mom. Rahim, how'd you learn how to pray? Yeah, at home or maybe more defined at like Sunday school. Yeah, amen. Uh, my dad and also like uh, Saturday school. Okay. Uh, is it Abdima? 
Yeah, my sorry, my name is uh, Abdullahi. Okay, cool. Nice, Marshall. How'd you learn how to pray? Uh, parents. Yeah. yeah. Everyone learn from a person. You might have started with Adam's World, some video. You might start with some books. Some of these videos that are out now are pretty, pretty cool with these kids' cartoons and such. But fundamentally, how'd you learn how to pray when you started praying with other people? And we often say, you don't learn prayer from the Quran, you learn from the Hadith. No, that is not how you learn how to pray. You learn how to pray from people. The Hadith will have 400 narrations on prayer. It's not going to have one narration on how to pray. Okay. And, and so you learn prayer from someone who learned prayer from someone who learned prayer from someone going all the way back to the Prophet, peace be upon him. And then when you go on Hajj, you see everybody prays the same way, even the, the variations this or this, right? Those all go back to the Prophet, peace be upon him. This is one of the open miracles of the whole deen, that the prayer is preserved and there's no central manual. It's literally the telephone game, and everybody prays the same way. Even the variations are part of the part of the preservation. So the point being, Sunnah is the lived practice. Hadith is the recordings of everything. That's the contrast, except for the Hanbalis, where they're both essentially the same, and a little bit the Shafi'is that they've leaned more towards the Sunnah, the Hadith being Sunnah. But think about how you learned your dean, how you learned to practice your dean. All the core things you learned by living practice. People modeled it, and you were taught a couple things here and there, but this is how we pray. This is what we do. Okay, so back to this. The, <clears throat> the literalists of sunnah and hadith would be those who are focused on the precision and such, whereas all the rest of us very often will be having different levels of precision, different levels of metaphor and all those things. So how do we then determine what else is metaphor? We go to the Arabic language. So the Arabic speakers primarily, this isn't as useful today as it was perhaps in generations past. Now often like the, the Daisies know Arabic better than the Arabs. You know, it sounds like, yeah, bro, reach on. Yeah. yeah. Now, in terms of metaphor, is there anything else after this? Or in terms of uh, the tafsir of the Quran? It's basically the history, the scholarly history. Is that, is that other tafsirs? Yeah. Oops. There. My computer screen just said playing music. Okay. <clears throat> now, when it comes to figuring out then within all of this, how do you figure out what is literal and what's metaphor? It's basically what does everybody else say? So what is something that everybody seems to agree is literal? The question is so shockingly easy, it's easy to answer incorrectly. You're asking anything in the Quran that everybody agrees is literal? Anything that everybody pretty much agrees is literal. Well, when they, the word Allah means Allah, right? It's I mean, literal, but that's, that's, right? that's a definition. I'm saying 
on what passages in the Quran are literal. Um, say it again. Surah al Like what about it? It's literal. Like you don't really need a tafsir to understand that God oh, yeah, is I'm not talking about that. I'm saying literal versus metaphor. Uh, how about yeah, go for it, Isa. Uh, the the uh, parts in a Surah Nisa about maybe inheritance. Okay. So the easiest thing Ali actually almost had that God is one. Okay. I mean, you can't get much more literal than that. Everybody agrees with that, right? And then, yeah, for example, the 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 passages like uh, some of the legal passages like inheritance is a really good example. Yeah, that's understood to be literal, not metaphor. So, uh, what about nobody can approach the Quran except for people who are pure? Literal or metaphor? I guess. <laughs> what do you mean by like? I was going to say like probably metaphor, right? Because it, pure could mean. I mean, if you mean from wudu standpoint, you have to have wudu to touch that the Quran. That means literal. That means right. literal. Yeah. But pure in terms of like if you're saying like someone's heart, right? Because anyone can go if they're not pure in their heart, but they have wudu. So I guess it could go both ways, right? Yeah, so that's both. What about the miraculous type things? The splitting of the sea with Musa al-Islam. Literal or metaphor? I would say literal. Yeah, over I mean, it could be, I mean you, it could be metaphorical, but I think it was intended to be literal, right? Okay, well, this is this is the question. Well, that's the... Hasn't it been understood as literal? So the majority opinion, overall majority opinion, is literal. D- doesn't it also take away from, like, the idea of it being a miracle if it's a metaphor? You know, because it's just kind of like... Well, I don't know that it's ever called a, a, a miracle. Oh, okay. Right. Uh, but the basic point being that... Uh, that is as easy for Allah as anything else, as the creation of the entire universe, you know. But it does also get read as allegory, which is almost like a type of metaphor. That the fact that Allah sh- men- making mention of this, there's still a lesson there. What's the lesson? What is one of the lessons of the splitting of the sea? Especially if you can connect it to another ayah that has no relation to it. If you keep seeking forgiveness from Allah, which is this is sort of the talaq, if you keep seeking forgiveness from Allah, he will open up from you, for you away from where you weren't expecting. So the literal event, for example, is the splitting of the sea, but that's also a metaphor at the same time without negating its literalness. But it's also not an article of faith, right? It's not a level of, I have to believe in the angels, the books, the messengers, and so forth and so on, right? Uh, me, if someone says that it's metaphor, not literal, they're probably going to get excommunicated from the co- from the community, but it is not enough to be knocked out of the dean. It is not kufr. Yeah. Anyway, so what are we saying fundamentally? It's what does the crowd of scholars suggest? And there's unanimity only on a small amount of things being exclusively literal. Like one God is not a metaphor. Right. Okay, let us continue. Youth of Rome. Uh, the best of Euthyphro, and that which distinguishes him, Socrates, from other men, is his exact, exact knowledge of all such matters, 
What what should I be good for without it? Mm -hmm. So let's apply this to a scholar in our time and place. A scholar of Islam, 2022, or what year is it in the Islamic calendar? Anyone? 1434. Uh, so close, but yet so far. 1444. Yeah. Oh, damn. It was a typo, right? So uh, in terms of a scholar in 2022, what should that scholar be really precise in their knowledge of? And what would you, how would you answer that question? What should they know very well? Doesn't it depend on like, I guess for me, it's like a hard thing to answer in a sense because it's- it, Yeah, I'm, I'm asking like, you all. I'm not asking what does the community say? I'm asking you all. How to explain- I, For me, it's, it's, it's just very like, I feel like they need to kind of be like polymaths in a sense. They need to know a lot. It's not so, just like- List it out. You know, what one do they thing. Need to know? <laughs> oh, they they need geometry? To, they need to know psychology. They need to know yeah. like history. They need to know law. You know, they need to know theology. I, they need to know philosophy I, on a level. I think. Okay, Adnan. I think. Uh, I kind of disagree. With, I mean, I see what Omar's saying. Okay. But I think uh, it's hard. You can't expect someone to be an expert in every field. Okay. I think what scholars, the important thing is that they should know what they don't know. Ooh, that was deep. Okay. So, like, whenever they dabble into things, uh, I think it's important for scholars to feel comfortable uh, asking for help in fields or subjects when they are not experts in those fields. Okay. And then they could they can give you know obviously the Islamic perspective, but they need to be able to uh, reach out in psychology, in history, and whatever. Okay. Uh, but I think history is obviously unbiased, but I think history is also important for them to know. Okay. Anyone else? What are your thoughts? Um, I think one thing that uh, might be extremely important is just being in touch with the uh, present social conditions of the people that mm -hmm. they're the communities that they shepherd. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, that, that's, that's probably at the forefront for everybody. Mm -hmm. Actually, in 2022 in America. Mm -hmm. Anyone else? Hey, Bilal, any thoughts? Does your family call you Bilu or anything like that? <laughs> that used to be my nickname. Uh, a couple of the guys used to call me that. Yeah, okay. But um, going back to the question, I would say like Issa was saying, uh, some type of knowledge on social circumstances and social situation. Mm -hmm. Anyone else? Usman? Uh, I think it's the same thing as Issa and Blau were saying. I think that's critical. I mean, I think that's something that's severely lacking right nowadays mm -hmm. in the US. There's very few that can actually speak to current events. Mm -hmm. So the general sentiment uh, is you have to know local culture. And local culture effectively means local custom. And what I mean by that is what are the patterns and how people in your particular environment do things. Okay. And what would be different from our era 
compared to perhaps many different eras would be what's on people's minds. Because what's on people's minds is being fed to them by media. That becomes local custom as well. And then the primary sources, as well as the tools of interpretation of the primary sources, at least in one school, if they're a scholar of law. But yeah, all right, what time is it? Let's continue. Socrates says, rare friend. Rare friends, I think that I cannot do better than be your disciple. Then before the trial with uh, Milites uh, comes on, I shall challenge him and say that I have always had a great interest in religious questions. And now as, as he charges me with rash imaginations and innovations in religion, I've become your disciple. You, Milites, as I shall say to him, acknowledge Euthyphro to be a great theologian and sound in his opinions. And if you approve of him, you ought to approve of me and not have me into court. But if you disapprove, you should begin by indicting him who is my teacher and who will be the ruin, ruin not of the young, but of the old. That is to say of myself, whom he instructs and of his old father, whom he uh, admonishes and chastises. Uh, and if he, if Miletes refuses to listen to me, but will go on and will not shift the indictment from me to you, I cannot do better than repeat this challenge in the court. Okay. Let's try to make sense of what he's saying. Big complex paragraph here. So first thing Socrates says is, I should become your student. That's probably the best move for me. Why? Because then before the trial with Miletus comes, I shall challenge him and say, I've always had a great interest in religious questions. Okay. And while he's making all these accusations, I can say, look, I'm your student. You know what you're talking about. So that'll be good for me that I am humble enough to take you as my teacher. So far, so good. Then he says, let's see, you, Miletus, as I shall say to him, acknowledge Euthyphro to be a great theologian and sound in his opinions. And if you approve of him, you have to approve of me. So that should exonerate me. That should free me from the trial, the fact that I'm becoming your student. But if you disapprove, you should begin by igniting him, indicting him who is my teacher and who will be the ruin not of the young, but of the old. That is to say, of myself, whom he instructs and of his old father, whom he admonishes and chastises. So if I, if you don't think that, if you don't agree with this, then you should not only indict your dad, but you should indict me too, because Miletus is correct. Yeah. But if Miletus refuses to listen to me, but will go on, will not shift the indictment from me to you, I cannot do better than repeat this challenge in court. So he's also saying that, all right, if you want to hold on to the indictment of me, then you should also go after my teacher, which is you. Yeah. So does Euthyphro agree? Euthyphro. Um, yes, indeed, Socrates. And if he attempts to indict me, uh, I'm mistaken if I do not find the flaw in him. The court shall have a great deal more to say to him than to me. Good. So Euthyphro is saying, yeah, I've got my act together. So if he tries to go after me, he's going to have a problem. Socrates. And, 
And I, my dear friend, knowing this, am desirous of becoming your disciple, for I observe that no one appears to notice you, not even this uh, Miletes, uh, but his sharp eyes have found me out at once, and he has indicted me for impiety. And therefore, I adjure you to tell me the nature of piety and impiety, which you said that you knew so well, and of murder and of other offenses against the gods. What are they? Is it not piety in every action always the same? And impiety, again, is it not always the opposite of piety and also the same with itself, having as, as impiety one notion which includes whatever is impious? Okay. So this, we said, is becoming the, uh, the central question. Uh, Faisan, what did you come up with in terms of your explorations of bir and such? Um, just the high-level meaning of being pious, acting justly. Um, there was examples of being dutiful to parents or just being kind in general. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if we go to Eitel Bir. What do you all see on my screen? You see the Quran? Yeah. Okay. So Aytul Birr, you're all familiar with. Surah 2, Ayah 177. So Laysal Birra. So righteousness in this translation, Bir, virtue, true righteousness, is not you turning your face towards east or west. So how is that understood? That you have to have your prayers facing the correct direction. That is not going to automatically make you righteous. I think we all understand that. Okay. Rather, righteous is the one, and then we get into three parts to this okay those who have the proper belief in this context what does belief give you belief gives you your intentions the more correct your beliefs are the more correct your intentions will be and then from there giving so the give of their wealth here it says out of their out of their or they give charity out of their cherished wealth. That's an interesting translation. Um, let's look at some more of these home slices. Um, let's see what Madudi says. Let's see what Takiusmani says. Let's see what Tikdal says. This is that fun part. Who give charity out of their charity, who give wealth despite love for it. That's Takiusmani who give away one's property in love of him. And then, so, Allah for love of him. Hey, Faizan, how would you translate Allah in this ayah? Despite their love for it or attachment to it? Their attachment to it, as opposed to their attachment to Allah. Yeah. Yeah, my initial. So... First part is they give is that they have iman and the iman is give is giving their attention intention. The second is that they're giving, 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 giving. Okay. And what's the third part? The third part is sabr or discipline. Okay. They establish prayer, they give the zakat, they keep their pledges, they're patient in times of suffering and adversity and in the heat of battle. Right. So all of these are acts of sabr. All of these are acts of discipline. 
So notice sabr, I'm not translating as patience, which is more the Urdu version of sabr. What is sabr in Arabic? In Fazan, you can still be our official Arab. I mean, I remember you said once, um, this is from, I think, Study Circle, like a decade ago, you said uh, sabr is patience and perseverance. So it's patience and perseverance. Another way to think about this is sabr is that you keep moving towards your goal, regardless of what happens. Yeah. So Iman, the disposition of giving and discipline. This is bir, this is piety, this is virtue, and this is taqwa. Okay. All righty. So what would be the opposite then? If we base it just on this ayah, what would be the opposite of piety? Ingratitude. Bad intentions. Oh. So bad intentions coming from wrong belief. Yeah. What else? I, I think Isa said ingratitude, I think. So ingratitude works in this context. In the context of this ayah, I would say stinginess. And then regarding the third part, not fulfilling your discipline, not, not persevering which includes giving up or being haphazard in your obligations and such. So for Did the you... first part, oh. would, uh, oh, sorry. Uh, for the first part, is it lacking belief um, or is it somebody that doesn't have beliefs altogether or do so, both work? So if we speak of Iman as something that goes up and down, if we go with that argument, I would say that is not the opposite. I would say the opposite is rejecting belief. Mm. Yeah. Make sense? Yeah. But again, there aren't answers. There aren't, you know, official answers for this. The point is the deliberation. Right? You're gonna one of the things you're gonna find most satisfying, so I'm telling you now, is Socrates is not gonna give us the answer at the end. We're not gonna have an answer to what is piety. It's just like it's okay, bye. You know. Uh, but the point is the journey of, of this deliberation process. I think somebody else was saying something. Omar, were you saying something else? I, could you just repeat the statement you made about intentions earlier? Like uh, you, uh, you like summarize it. I just want to have that down. So, so we're saying that righteousness are those who believe, or the people of Bir are those who believe in such and such and such, right? The angels, the last day, uh, or the last day of the angels, the books, the prophets, right? Billahi wal yom al akhiri wa malakiri wa kitabi wa nabiyin. And I'm saying, what does belief give you? Belief then informs your iman. No, correction. Belief, iman, informs your niya and your intention. Make sense? That if my intention is to serve Allah, I have to have belief in Allah. If I don't have belief in Allah, I might still have a good action, but my intention is not going to be correct. If I'm an atheist, I can still have upright character. Right. Hazan, were you about to say something? I was just going to add, um, not necessarily related to this, but connected to what you said before um, about things being figurative and literal. So the, the phrase, ala hubbihi, the, the reason I translated it as what's similar to it in the translations here, which is um, despite like their love for the wealth, um, that's a very common figurative phrase that uh, if you translate it literally, it, it could mean like, like for the like upon the love of Allah, but it's often like it, it is um 
what's known as majaz, like a figurative um, understanding of um, in in the great attachment or uh, for the wealth. Uh, and so it's connected to being metaphoric. And mm -hmm. I don't know, I just wanted to mention that. No, no, nice point. Nice point, Marshall. Okay. So this is Socrates' basic question. What is piety? What is not? What is the, what is the opposite of piety? So. I had a quick question. Yes. Um, uh, just wanted to uh, clarify. So you you, had, you mentioned that, um, like, so if an atheist would were to do, like, you know, give charity and, and whatnot, that wouldn't be considered righteousness or right. it wouldn't be considered bitter. Okay. Yeah. And because, they, because they lack the belief in the last one. Yeah. Obviously, we can't read somebody's heart. Right. You know, was it with one of you? No, no, no different conversation. <clears throat> um, you know, there's a, a student contacted me because his sister wants to marry this guy who's an atheist. And he's willing to do the Shahada. But he says, I'm still going to be an atheist. Mm. Does it count? What do you all think? What if he didn't say, I'm still going to be an atheist? Like he I was, was going to say that's probably what the yeah. breaking point was, was him yeah. openly saying, like, I'll reject still. Yeah. So I told the student, I'm really sorry I have to say this, and I don't usually talk this way, but your sister is a dimwit marrying a dimwit. You know, like, why did he have to say that? You know, why can't he just shut his mouth and just boom? So, yeah. Um, so the point here uh, then being that kufr becomes vocal rejection. Now, what were we speaking about just before this? Uh, Ali, what was your question? Oh, yeah. I just want to clarify. Yeah, I was, I was asking about, um, uh, you know, if the atheists were to do. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's very right. Yeah. So that's why I was saying this. So. Let's say I'm going to give you a number of different uh, intentions for the same action. Okay, so let's say I'm walking down the street and someone comes up to me asking for help and I give that person $5, okay? And I give that person $5 out of love for Allah. Good intention? Inshallah. Will I get hopefully rewarded? Inshallah. Yeah. Uh, I give this person $5 because I'm obligated to give sadaqah. Okay, not necessarily specifics. Good intention? Yeah. And shall I get yeah. rewarded? Yeah. Yeah. Suppose I'm giving this person money because I want to avoid hell. Good intention? Yeah. Yeah. Suppose I want to get rewarded in heaven. Good intention? Uh, in all of those scenarios so far, I'm expecting Allah to give me something on the other side, right? What is that? What if I give this person five dollars to make him go away, and he goes away? What should I expect anything from Allah on the other side? No, because you got what you wanted out of it. Yeah, maybe Allah in His generosity might give me something, but I got the reward I was seeking. What if I give this person five dollars to make him go away, but he doesn't go away? Then what about the other side? My intention was still not directed toward the other side. Allah might still give it to me, you know, because of, of you know, you know, my intention in some form, but I wasn't expecting anything. So now bring this to the person 
who does not believe in anything on the other side. Should that per- and let's say that person donates the entirety of their wealth. Should that person get anything on the other side? It's up to Allah, I guess. I mean, we, I, I, which is your polite way of saying, you know, we want Allah to be generous, but fundamentally has nothing to expect. Because he doesn't even believe in it. And so that's why I'm saying your beliefs will inform your intentions. Make sense, Ali? But I can be someone who has proper belief, but my intention might still be something worldly, and that's what I would expect, you know, the reward to be. Okay, what time is it? 748. All right, we're still good. Let's see if we should do this next paragraph. Yeah. All right, so Euthyphro, one line. To be sure, Socrates. Academy Award. Socrates. And what is piety and what is impiety? Oh. Dramatic reading. All right, Euthyphro. Piety is Euthyphro's definition. Go for it. Piety is doing as I'm doing. That is to say, prosecuting anyone who is guilty of murder, sacrilege, or of any similar crime, whether he be your father or mother or whoever he may be, that makes no difference. And not to prosecute them is impiety. And please to consider, Socrates, what notable proof I will give you of the truth of my words, a proof which I have already given to others. Of the principle, of the principle I mean, that the impious, whoever he may be, uh, ought not to go unpunished. For do not men regard Zeus as the best and most righteous of the gods? And yet they admit that he bound his father, Cronus, because he wickedly devoured his sons, and that he too had punished his own father, Uranus, for a similar reason, in a nameless manner. And yet when I proceed against my father, they are angry with me. So inconsistent are they in their way of talking when the gods are concerned and when I am concerned. Okay, very nice, mashallah. So I don't know if we'll make it through the whole paragraph in this time slot, but let's take it step by step. So piety is to do what I'm doing, which is prosecuting anyone who's guilty. Okay. And then, and that's whether it's your father, your mother, anybody, it makes no difference. The crime is a crime. And not to prosecute is impiety. So far, based only on that explanation, what do y'all think? You agree with him from a Dean perspective? That if someone is doing wrong, then piety is to pursue justice. And if you're not pursuing justice, you are doing something wrong. Isn't that isn't that the hadith of the Prophet Tell us where he says if you you know basically if you see something wrong, the lowest sort of um, form of uh, doing something against us is hating hating that happening in your heart. But you know before that you're supposed to try to do something about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Yeah, I would say so. Whether we use the word bir or not, uh, I think the point remains that if I know that there is wrong being committed and I then I'm obligated in my capacity to do something about it. And if I know that some wrong is being committed and I have some capacity to do something about it and I don't, then I am also doing something wrong. 
Yeah. And please to consider, you know who that reminds me of? Was, what's that uh, Twitter account? Galandar Tabrizi or whatever it is? Please to refrain. Yeah. 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 You all know what I'm talking about. That's what he, is he still around? Galandar Tabrizi? No. I think he's on the Zoom call. I think it might be Omar. <laughs> <laughs> He's been exposed. No way. So. No way. There was a lot of slanderous things said on that Twitter account. Was that was not me. I right, never mind. Never mind. Yeah. Was it please to consider, please to refrain, or both? Please to refrain. He's please, please to, to refrain. refrain. Okay, yeah. okay, Socrates, what a noble proof I will give you of the truth of my words. So he's saying level one is look, if you see a crime, you got to do something about it. If you don't, you're the one who's also committing a crime. But when you go deeper, What's his argument? So let's read through it. I'm going to give you the real truth, the real proof okay, of the principle that the unpi- impious, whatever it may be, ought not to go unpunished because Zeus, who's the king of all the gods, okay, the most righteous of all the gods, he bound his father because he wickedly devoured his son. So Kronos ate his son. And, and that he too punished his own father you know, my, every third grader's favorite word, Uranus, for a similar reason in a, in a nameless manner. But if I do it, okay, they're angry with me. So what is he saying? I'm following, in his language, astaghfirullah, the sunnah of God. So, regardless of whatever you might know of the story of Zeus and all that, what do you think about that as an argument? What works, what doesn't work? Hazan. He has a belief, and that's shaping his intention. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's exactly it right there. Right. The difference in our case, can you think of anything in our case where we'd be following the sunnah of Allah? Marriage? That's a sunnah prescribed by Allah. That's the sunnah of the Prophet, peace be upon him. The sunnah of Allah. Being generous, maybe? Maybe. Isn't one you see a miracle uh, that if you don't accept it, then there's like a punishment, there's like a sunnah of Allah? Okay, so, but that would not be, that would be the sunnah taught by the prophet. So, mm. so is, all the people share. Yeah, go ahead. <clears throat> I was saying, like, is it something more fundamental, like the way the universe operates, like night and day? That's. Yeah. A sunnah Allah prescribed for us. Yeah, we don't have any sunnahs of Allah that we should follow. Right. Nice. Yeah, it was, it was all set up. It, it'd be the sunnah of the Prophet, peace be upon him. Just checking all of your aqidahs. Some of you need to re- retake your shahada. But the, one, the ones that got, the other guys mentioned, like being merciful, generous, like some of the names of Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala ones, they actually sounded like we could, but... Yeah. Um, Keep but going. So... I don't know. So isn't that, I'm not saying it's a sunnah of Allah. That seems like a very strange yeah. terminology to follow. Yeah, but I would say those are about as close as we can get. Okay. This is a, a frequent conversation in my class. You teach us Allah is so merciful. Why can't you be merciful on us? And I'll say, because I'm not Allah. Right. So same old joke. I told that joke in class today too. There's, there's like four jokes. That I just keep repeating over and over again. You know, I, I said four, but I said five, but I'm pointing five fingers. Anyway. So so yeah, it'd be the sunnah of the prophet peace be upon him. It's his generosity that we're following the sunnah of. Okay. Good. And so, so for us, the equivalent would be an example from the prophet peace be upon him. 
And in the prophet's case, yeah, we have all kinds of sunnas on, on crime and punishment and such. Yeah. Okay, um, there are some other things that I want to discuss with this ayah that I'm forgetting at the moment. So someone make a note, we got to start with this paragraph for next time, inshallah. All right, any last questions, comments, thoughts, reflections? You might have already mentioned this, but um, the Melites guy that was mentioned? Yeah. He like the prosecutor type of guy? The, the, the guy who filed the lawsuit, yeah. Okay, forgot, yeah, I forgot who he was. Yeah, so he, from, from Socrates' perspective, he's basically this other young punk. The story is actually about two punks. One is Euthyphro, who is suing his father, and then one is Miletus, who's suing Socrates. It's both these young guys who are suing these old guys. Sounds like they needed uh, some YM in the Yeah, exactly. If only they had YM. Especially YM gear. You know? And, you know, like, how many of you own a YM? Muscle? All they needed is a Godbrother t-shirt. <laughs> they needed a, a vanguard, so to speak. Mashallah! They need towards understanding Islam. Okay, any other questions about anything else? Okay. All right, we'll stop here. Witness unto the mankind. Yeah, Shazam, were you about to say something? Oh, no. Sorry. Yeah. All right. Good discussion, inshallah. Let me just make sure we are cool for next week. Um, where's my screen? Oh, here's my... oh are we going to get uh, the recordings? Yeah, inshallah. I'm basically like four months behind on all my recordings. Nice. So that's uh, that's in inshallah. That still means yes. I uh, I won't be here next week. That's why I was asking. I see. Uh, next week is twenty four, and yeah. I have it for seven o'clock. Old young Muslims. So, inshallah, we'll continue. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashhadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. May Allah Ta'ala reward you all. Good to see you all again. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.